my name is Ilsian, and I'm part of the pastoral team here at Evergreen Christian Center. And we're so grateful that you're joining us, whether in person or online. It's so good to be here. And um, today we're on our second week of a new series called Transform. And so if you missed last week, I just want to invite you. It is a message worth your time. So you can find it on our podcast or you can also find it um, on our YouTube channel. So um, we are using this book by Peter Scazzaro. Hope I'm saying that correctly. Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. So that is what we're um, using to go through our teaching in the series. So I want to know how many of you, whether you were in person or online, do you guys name your car? Yeah, let me see. Show of hands. Okay, I see that. I see. If you're online, go ahead and let me know that you do too by putting a car emoji on the comments. Um, but I do. Every car that I've had, I, I've named. Um, and so when um, I was younger, I had a used uh, black Honda Accord that I named Blackie. Super creative. I know. I just, that's just the way I roll. Um, and then I later on had a gray Altima that I named Gracie. See, I just, you know, I just, that's how I get my inspiration. So um, Blackie was a gift given to me during a time where my finances were a bit of a struggle. I had a job, but just barely made it each month. If you know, you know, all right? So after about a year of owning Blackie, it started uh, smoking. Yep. The first time it happened, I was driving down the boulevard and noticed that there was smoke coming out of the hood. And um, the dashboard showed the orange needle high-fiving the H. You know, I was like, what is happening? And so I uh, pulled over and I popped the hood and I looked like I knew what I was looking for. I had no idea. Um, and I don't even know how I figured it out but I figured out that my car needed water. So I added water to the car. Um, I know the mechanics and the car experts in the room probably shaking their head online. I know you're shaking your head, but I, um, I'm embarrassed to admit that uh, this persisted for weeks, maybe even months, if I'm honest. Um, see, well, I just, I couldn't afford the repairs, so I just had to live with the problem. Um, so, you know, after a certain mileage, smoke would rise, the dashboard would light up, and I would pull over. And I was prepared this time. I had water in my trunk, and I had a bit of coolant. So I would do what I needed to do, and I would just keep driving. So after consulting a mechanic, I learned that the reason my car was failing uh, to operate the way that a car is supposed to, that it was intended to, it was because it needed a new radiator. And so the temperature gouge on the dashboard was letting me know that there was something wrong. Something about the engine was failing. So there were times where my vehicle didn't get me to where I needed to be, where I intended to be. And it was because of the obvious failure with the mechanics. And so it's a good thing to identify failures in a system, right? 
because then you're able to do what you're supposed to do. You're able to be where you're supposed to be. And I want to remind us today that if we are going to be in a place of deep discipleship, the place where deep transformation happens, in a place where we can answer the question that we were asked last week, where is the transformation, then like Peter's Casera writes, we need to look at four failures that damage and weaken discipleship. So here they are up front. I'm going to let you know what they are. And one, we tolerate emotional immaturity. Two, we emphasize doing for God over being with God. Three, uh, we ignore the treasures of church history. Four, we define success wrongly. And I, you know, I'm not going to talk about each in detail because then we'd be here for a very long time. Um, but I will ask you questions about each as we dive into a story found in chapter 5 of the book of Luke. So in this chapter 5, uh, Jesus invites Peter after getting in his boat and hanging out in the shallow waters for a bit. He invites Peter to go deeper. And um, so that first question I want to ask you today. So I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions. I hope you're okay with that. Um, the good thing is that you don't have to answer them all before you leave. You can take them home and ponder on them. But the first question is, are you willing to go deeper in 2022? Okay. That's the question I want you to consider. So let's look at the story. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open it. And if you don't, it's all good. The text will be on the screen, so don't worry about it. So let me, um, let me find it here. Okay, well, it says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats... Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and, the, and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. As were the others with him, his partners James and John and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I love this story because this story reminds me that... To go deeper, we are going to need to leave what we're comfortable with 
and surrender what we think we know or even what we know know. And this is what I mean. See, my observation um, in, in, in addressing our failures is that, one, your comfort will be challenged. How many of you guys, when you get up in the morning and the blankets are so cozy, on a very cold morning, enjoy getting up to the cold? Not very much. I do not like leaving the comfort of my comforter. I, I enjoy being cozy and comfortable. And, um, or the worst is when you finally are in bed and you find that comfortable spot, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I have to go pee. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Because you're like, now I have to like go find, I have to go find a new comfort when I come back, right? So we don't like, you know, being in a place where we have to leave what we're comfortable with. That comf- We enjoy comfort, and comfort is good, but there's also a time where we need to leave our comfort. And I think what I like about shallow and the shallow waters is that it's comfortable, right? It's comfortable to, I, I like when I go into any water, I like to feel the ground under me. The minute I can't feel the ground, I am a little bit panicky and freaking out. I just don't enjoy it. I'll go to the beach, but I will only go this far. You know, like my knees, okay, I'm good. You know, like if I go any further, I'm not, no, I'm five, two, it doesn't work, you know. And so in this, but it's, it's in this shallow place, um, you know, where we realize that, and, and what the author talks about is that we tolerate emotional immaturity. And if we are going to be people that we are not going to be labeled just Christians, we have to leave this shallow way of living and being and move into deep transformation as disciples of Christ. So that first failure is we tolerate emotional immaturity. So let me share some of the examples that uh, the book shares about what it looks like. It says that you can be a gifted speaker for God in public and be a detached spouse or angry parent at home. You know, growing up... Um, Going to church with my mom, I didn't have a choice as a child or as a teenager if I wanted to go to church. I was taken to church. And I, you know, as much as I tried to convince my mom that it wasn't a good idea for me to go, she would take me. She says, my house, my rules. You're going to do what I say. And so she would take me, and I would go to church. But I think the hardest part for me to reconcile, and I think, um, that was hard was that I would see one person of my mom at church and then at home. She was like an angry parent. And so it was really hard for me to understand why going to church made a difference, you know? And so I think that I really like that he addresses this because I really identified with that. And then it goes on to say, you can be uh, hurt by an unkind comment of a coworker and justify saying nothing because you avoid conflicts at all costs. Have you been there? 
I'm, I'm guilty. I've, I've done that. And then you can function as a leader and yet be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. And so those are just examples of emotional immaturity. And so um, in, 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 in this, Peter says, uh, Peter Scazzaro says, we have disconnected emotional health from spiritual health, thinking it's possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so how has this disconnect happened? Well, one of the reasons is we say we love God, but we forget to love others, right? And I love that Jesus, time and time again, especially in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, look, I am giving you a new commandment. It is to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are what? My disciples. Your love for one another will prove. It will be evidence. I, you know, he, he makes it so clear, but if we were to really stop and take a look on how we're loving each other right now, no wonder the world can't figure it out. We aren't doing a very good job at showing that we love each other. And see, that is the evidence that we have that we are his disciples and how we love one another. And our mission here at Evergreen is to love God and to love people. So Jesus tells us that we are to love the Lord. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And see, all of who we are, all of our being is involved in loving this way and loving God and, and loving our neighbors. So, so we're supposed to love with all we have, emotions, intellect, strength, everything that makes us human. And the thing about love is that love is, it's love. And this is what I mean. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that love is forgiving, right? That love makes allowance for others' weaknesses. That love is patient. That love is kind. That love is not rude. It's not irritable. Loving others well truly can be scary. And choosing to love like Jesus loved is courageous. Love requires emotion, and emotions for some of us can be scary. I'm some of us. It's scary. It's scary for me to show emotion. Deep is scary. And that's why shallow is so much more comfortable. Deep requires me to pay attention to my emotions. And, to, and honestly, uh, for years, I, I worked hard on my spiritual life but ignored my emotions. I'd make it a goal to read my Bible more, to pray more, to attend church, to go to life group, and even give more. But the reality was that I was actually emotionally numb. And if we're going to love like and be like Jesus, we got to remember that Jesus cried. He experienced anger. He expressed his emotions. 
So this is the question I have for you as you think about this failure. How well are you loving others, especially those nearest to you? So failure two is we emphasize doing for God over being with God. And I love that who you are and who you are meant to become will be revealed as you commune with Jesus. And we see it in the story in verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And then in verse 10b, it says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. We see both, that he receives a revelation of his sinfulness, but also in that same moment, Jesus also speaks and calls him. who he is to become, right? A fisher of men. So this is revelation that happens when we commune with Jesus. When Jesus invites us in and we say, okay, I'm going to be with you in this moment. And I remember when I was in my mid-20s about a minute ago. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) There was a moment um, when I was spending time in prayer where I had this thought, I'm afraid to confess my sin to you, Lord, because I'm afraid of that pain. I don't want to face the pain that I know it's going to bring up. Yet it's, it was in that moment where I really felt like when I was processing my fear and my feelings with Jesus that his healing process began, and it's still going. That there was a season in my life that I intentionally stayed busy. I don't know if you've ever done it. I, I, and I did that because I didn't want to feel all that I was feeling. I had just gone through a breakup, to give you some context, so there was a lot that I was feeling. So part of my busyness consisted in me cleaning and organizing every inch of my apartment. I mean, cupboards were organized and reorganized time and time again. And my drawers were so clean, that junk drawer stopped existing. Um, You know, and then my my closet, uh, it was so organized. And I had a walk-in closet at that time, so it was so organized. It was beautiful. And... um, I would just, whatever it took, I would just stay busy. I would invite friends over because I didn't want to be alone. And my roommate wasn't with me at that time. I think she was traveling. Um, and so I, I was alone. So I didn't, I didn't want to be alone. So I would invite friends over. And then if my friends couldn't come, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to binge watch this show. <laughs> right? Have you ever been there? Um, so... And all because I was avoiding being real with myself and being real with Jesus. And I was afraid to truly embrace what I was feeling. And the truth is that intimacy with myself is something I'm still learning to be courageous about. What about you? What scares you about processing your emotions? What scares you about being real, but having those moments of real 
oneness with yourself and with Jesus. See, another observation um, from the story in Luke 5 is that your surrender will position you. And I think that's what happens um, when Peter says yes to, to being with Jesus. And see, the journey that I'm inviting you into is one that requires surrender. Our life with Jesus is one that requires surrender. And it requires trust to go deep, to be in a place where Jesus is, to say yes to the invitation of being with him. And in your being with him, you'll be able to hear his direction so that your doing will come out of being with Jesus and not just doing because you need to get it done. See, we see it in verse 5. It says, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear and a shout for help brought their partners in the boats. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. See, what I see here is that Peter's surrender allowed him to position the net on the other side of the boat. See, sometimes we can work hard on our own effort and work hard and do all that we can. But because we haven't really made the time to be with Jesus and made Jesus our priority, we don't see any effort come from all our hard work. We don't see the fruit of our labor sometimes. And I think Peter was frustrated because he hadn't caught anything. And here Jesus comes asking him to do what he's like, okay, I've been out here all night, Jesus. And what I like about this is that Jesus asked him to position his net on the other side of the boat. We've got to realize that Peter was experienced and skilled as a fisherman. But yet Jesus is giving him instruction, right? It takes a humility. So yet he surrendered. Peter surrendered what he knew. He's like, Jesus, I, I've done that, Jesus. But then Jesus, he says that but because you say so, I'm going to do it. And one of the things for me is that when I um, surrendered my life uh, to Jesus, I had to wrestle with what I'd been taught at my mom's church, right? Because I don't think my faith was my own until I was, you know, um, mid-20s is when I said yes to Jesus. And that's when my faith became my own. So I had to wrestle with what I had been taught at my mom's church as a kid, as a teenager. And this is what I had been taught. One of the things. I had been taught that they were the true church. And if I went anywhere else, I would probably end up in hell. Like they believe this. They truly believe that. And so I was scared to leave because I was like, well, I don't want to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? You know, like, but I had to really wrestle with, because I felt like I, I, I had to go, that I, I couldn't do it anymore. And then I, I had to come to this realization that the truth was that I was very ignorant about the big C church and its history. 
And see, there are good things also that my, that my mom's church taught me. There are verses that I know in Spanish still to this day because I learned them, you know, when I was in the kids' class. So there are truths that were good that, that, that I learned, so I'm so grateful for that. But I also have to realize that I was also um, taught some things that weren't so good, but that the reality was that I was taught that other churches, you know, like, we're the church. Like, and that's not true. The Big C Church in its history is so much bigger than just our context. And I, I had to surrender what I knew because the truth is not one church has it 100% right. You know, a few years ago, I was listening to an interview about an author. He had written a book about the contradictions he found in the gospel. And in response to these contradictions, the interviewer shares um, with the author this parable of the elephant. And he describes it, four different blind men are stumbling along in the jungle, and they fall into a pit where an elephant had also fallen into a pit. And so they say to themselves, what is this thing here with us? It's bigger than us. And so they start feeling around, right, because they're blind. They start feeling around and touching it. And the one guy that's touching the elephant's belly says, oh, it's a big wall. And the other one that is by the foot says, oh, it's a big tree. And the other one thinks it's spears because it's touching the husk of the elephant. And then one, because it's at the tail end, says, oh, it's a rope. You know? So they all have this different perception. But then the interviewer asks, is it possible that Jesus, God, is so big, infinite, that we are all trying to describe different parts of him with our limited understanding? You know, I think that is such a good parable. Um, so the, the failure three is that we ignore the treasures of church history. And that's something that we, we really need to take a look at. And I know that our ignorance, no matter in what area, is a good thing to surrender to God. So I ask you this. Am I ignoring the brothers and sisters who came before, especially those who are very different than the expression of church I know? And then the next question I want you to ask yourself is, are you willing to surrender control? Surrender what you think you know or how it should be. And then failure four is we define success wrongly. And to me, this is the most shocking part of the story of Luke 5. And in verse 11, it says, And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And see, the disciples had just had the biggest catch of their lives. This was how they made their living. This would be good for them, good for business. Yet, that's not what they did. It says that they left everything to be with Jesus, to hang out with Jesus, to learn from Jesus. And I think that you and I both know well that success is defined so wrongly in our lives. 
in our world. See, success for you and me shouldn't be based on what the world considers important, but on who God has called you to be and what he has called you to do. And I think for me, the hard part of that is doing what God's called me to do. It's on his timeline and not on mine. And sometimes I'll be like, but you've called me to do this and I need to do it like today. And the Lord's like, no, I spoke to you about it, but chill, girl. Like, got to work on you first before we get there, right? I think of King David. He got anointed when he was about 17 years old to be a king. God had anointed him for who he was to become, yet years went by before he stepped into that calling. I think the part, hard part about success is waiting for God's timeline and not having it be on our own. And you know, sometimes I think like we're so um, obsessed with success or the world's definition of success. I know one of the things for me is growing up um, in, in Santa Clarita with, with my parents who were both immigrants is they had to work really hard so that we would have food. Um, and they were, they, they had a goal. They wanted to be homeowners, even though they were immigrants. And so they worked long hours. I mean, my dad would leave home at 4 a.m. and come back like really late. My mom would do the same. She would say, okay, feed yourselves. And so we'd have to figure it out because they were trying to achieve this success of owning, this goal of owning a house, which I think is a good thing, but it happened at the expense of relationship with their children. I mean, sometimes they wanted to save money on rent, so we would get a two-bedroom apartment, we would all be stuck in one bedroom, and then they would rent out the other room to complete strangers. I was exposed to things a child should never be exposed to because they were focused on achieving this dream. They did it, but it was costly. So how are we defining success? Are we doing what God has called us to do and becoming who God's called us to become? So I want to ask you this question, how do you define success? Do you define it by who you are becoming or just by what you are accomplishing? What are the things that cost you and me to say no to what Jesus wants us to be or do? You heard it in my story. For me, it was, it's been fear. Fear is a big one. Comfort. Thinking I know best. You know, and Peter said yes to the invitation of going deep. Then he said yes to positioning his net on the other side because Jesus said so. And like you heard my, my story at the beginning, my financial limitations cost me to say no to the mechanic fixing my car's failures. But that failure kept me from getting to where I needed to be. And friends, this morning... We've heard the failures and the invitation that Jesus is asking 
for us to leave our comfort, to go deeper, and to surrender what we think of success and surrender what we think of church history and what we think of emotions and to allow him to transform us into who, who he is making us to be. Would you close your eyes right there as we take a moment to pray? Father, we are so grateful that in this journey with you, we can trust you. We can surrender our doubts, our fears. We can be honest about where we're at with you. We can be real. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us where we need to leave our comfort, that your Holy Spirit would encourage us and where we need to surrender. Lord, if there is ignorance keeping us from deeper transformation, I pray, Holy Spirit, bring that to light. Help us be people that are about being with you and loving others well out of that. Help us to love who you've called us to love. Father, thank you for your transformation. In Jesus' name, can we say amen? Amen. amen.